You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. and cut it to uh, a three-point game at one point in the final seconds before Xavier Johnson stepped up and knocked down a couple free throws uh, to ice it. This is a game that we'll certainly talk a little bit about what contributed to the uh, to the, the, the lull from IU. And um, so we'll talk about that. But I think the big focus for me is if you told me at the beginning of the day that IU was going to go and pull out this win by five points, I probably would have been pretty happy about it. Uh, it was essentially a, a must win uh, for IU in this scenario. And so when I look at it that way, uh, I think it is how I'll try to frame it up, although we can't ignore uh, what happened to get the game that close as we went. But um, So we'll talk through that as we go. But uh, a huge, huge win for IU at this point in the season. Uh, Xavier Johnson leads the way with 24 points for IU, had a stellar first half, and as I mentioned a minute ago, knocked down the free throws that uh, – that that iced the game uh so in terms of uh starting the show with the banner moment uh i had a bunch of these highlighted early when things were going incredibly well uh i don't know which one to really go back to i'll pick one early in the second half this is one minnesota had just made a three-pointer uh their first of what would be many three-pointers in the second half but uh in a sequence where uh trace jackson davis got fouled he missed the second free throw parker stewart hustles to get the rebound ends up making a three on the possession, and then on the defensive end made one of uh, a few good defensive plays that he made, really trying to dig down uh, into the post, uh, got a steal, and just thought that was a really important sequence from Parker. Also was one that really gave IU some momentum to start the second half. And there was a stretch where IU, uh, much like Minnesota, would get into a stretch where IU was scoring on virtually every possession. The offense looked really crisp. You had a number of guys involved, but uh, I'll go back to that one from Parker Stewart. And I'll give another Parker Stewart one uh, somewhat late as the wheels seem to be coming off. He showed some good patience, found Race Thompson for a dunk to kind of stem the tide a little bit uh, in that stretch. So I thought a couple of big plays from him. Xavier Johnson uh, was the headliner tonight, but some good supporting plays uh, from Parker Stewart there, which we will use as tonight's banner moment. Uh, and our banner moment today, as always, brought to you by our friends at Homefield Apparel, who is now in their fifth season of sponsoring the Assembly Call, and their first as, their, as the presenting sponsor for the Back Home Network. And as you surely know by now, Homefield has the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere, with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison. And if you support other college teams or have people in your life who do, Homefield probably has something for them as well. Their product line now extends to more than 120 different schools with unique vintage logos for all of them, including some of the ones that have just come out for this season of Big New Saturday, uh, which includes Villanova uh, that was released on Saturday. But no matter what you buy, know that you, it will be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. And also for those IU fans out there, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through Kelly. So what could be better than that? Go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME to fifteen to get 15% off your entire first order. Again, that's promo code HOME to 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. 
All right, it's time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team, which tonight is Coach Tonsoni and uh, Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast. So, Coach, I'll throw it to you first. Opening thoughts on this uh, comfortable IU victory, right? <laughs> yeah, ab absolutely. It was, um, you know, a, a really great effort uh, for 32 minutes. I mean, just outstanding effort, both offensively and defensively. Uh, tonight by the Indiana Hoosiers, which was something uh, that, you know, I think the last three games, Indiana started moving more, uh, moving people more, moving the ball more. Uh, Xavier Johnson was outstanding. And so Indiana built a 27-point lead. I, I know everyone's upset about giving up a 27-point lead, but we got to remember that they built a 27-point uh, lead. And, and obviously, we wish it would have stayed there for for the net rating and all that kind of stuff that, that goes with a, a wider margin victory. But winning on the Big Ten is difficult. And, and Wisconsin, one by one, pulled out a win at the barn just recently. Uh, so, uh, you know, Ohio State uh, got beat today on the road at Maryland. Winning on the road is tough. And so ultimately this game helps Indiana's resume, gives it a quad two win, another road win. And Indiana is closer to being in the tournament uh, than they were before the game tipped off. So after the stressful end, um, you know, I think we can look back and say Indiana has, you know, kind of corrected its uh, – Airs from the five-game losing streak, and it at least gives uh, the program a chance uh, to have a big win against Rutgers. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's one of those where I even said this at halftime. I think you can lament the fact that the lead wasn't bigger at the half. You can, and no, no different than that, you can lament the way they let Penn, or Minnesota get back in the game. Uh, but at the same time, I think to expect anything close to perfection, this team is probably something that we should all. Uh, not get too hung up on, and I, like I said, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the the the, the near collapse late. But um, I'm focusing on a road win that they really needed for their tournament resume and, and everything else. So, we'll, like I said, you, you can't gloss over the fact that they gave away the lead. But um, but like you said, not well. And I would say, Andy, it, to begin with, as much as they gave away the lead, Minnesota took away the lead. I mean, that that kid hit three threes down the stretch that were absolutely more than contested. Um, sometimes guys hit tough shots. If, if he doesn't hit those three, Indiana wins 12 to 14 point win. Right. But, but he just rose up, uh, over, over a shot. Um, you know, so there was part of the reason was Indiana relaxed and turned the ball over on offense. But I, I thought that a couple of those threes, those kids just threw in some threes and that's going to happen. That's why it's nice to have that kind of lead, uh, when a guy like that gets hot. Yep. All right. Galen, throw it to you for your, uh, opening thoughts on the on the win gave you some time to let your heart rate come back down so uh, yeah hop in what are, your, what, what are your what are your feelings having a few minutes to digest what you just saw i gotta be honest my heart rate didn't go up i just <laughs> i just expected this to happen i just waited and waited and look what appeared on our doorstep a, a blown lead and a far too close finish look this is uh, you know, I guess I would call this a Rorschach test game for IU fans because you can kind of read anything you want out of it. You can go the positive route and say, hey, they picked up a five-point win on the road. They covered. They wanted a place that historically they don't win. They got that all-important 18th win. Um, they're 9-9 nine and nine in conference, which means that the worst they're going to finish is 9-11 and 11 in the regular season, and they have a great chance now of going 10-10. 10 and 10. They got a great game out of Xavier Johnson, who just – continues to be, in my opinion, the most important player on this team uh, on both offense and defense. They got a great game out of Jordan Geronimo, who had 
basically been on a sabbatical for a month of, from playing basketball of any reasonable sort. And, you know, I mean, all the, and my Miller cop, you know, hit his uh, second highest point total of the season. First time back in double figures since the Syracuse game. So there's lots of things you could point to and you could say, this is nice, but man, the downside is this team just continues to find new ways to make you feel like they're, they're just going to give it all away at any point during every game. And, you know, it's, as I, I tweeted earlier, this is why we have trust issues with this IU basketball team. And look, I, I think – I know Coach was trying to take the positive side there, but I, this team really needed the boost in the power rankings. I mean, as much of a boost as they got off of that Maryland game where they far exceeded, uh, you know, their normal offensive points per possession and it shot them up like eight points in Ken Palm – God, to have won by 20 or 30 points would have really had a positive impact on on that rating, on BPI. And, you know, unfortunately, this team has has dribbled away so much of the season that they are now in a dogfight for an NCAA tournament spot. And you've got conference tournament season coming up. They can't afford to give these opportunities away. So you can take out of it what you want. I still haven't decided what I want to think out of this game yet. <laughs> That's that's definitely fair. I uh, I like your Win, winning's hard though, and and I and I you're everyone's correct. This was a scary situation, not good, not the way you wanted to end a great performance. But winning is brutally hard at every level of basketball, um, and, and the ultimate thing is is a win. Yes, we'd want every win to be you know absolutely perfect, and we were very close to a perfect win. Uh, and then it just went totally the other way. But but winning is brutally hard uh, at, at every level. Um, I've been doing it for 28 years and have taken my fair shares of uh, of tough losses. It's difficult. And so uh, it's much better than if they totally blew the game. Then that w- would have been a, a real bad show. But, um, you know, kudos to them. There, I, I, wanna, I do want to mention something real quick. Jack Watts uh, put this in the chat, and I, and I think it's something that was – you know, Rob comes back and, and hit a three, and he was not aggressive early. Then he was aggressive uh, a little bit later and hit a shot, and then he, he missed one. And at the timeout, uh, Woodson kind of let into him uh, about taking a shot after only one pass, and he pointed to the scoreboard. And that's when the wheels fell off. And, and I'm not yep. putting the blame on Woody, but sometimes we as coaches can get in the way of our own team too. Uh, hey, we're a 27-point team. Take your time. We got the lead. And all of a sudden, the whole team's aggressiveness – just fell off and Jack makes that that comment I think that's very very uh good sometimes you can play too safe even with the 27 uh point lead and and I think a combination of those things probably happened uh there towards the end yeah I, I think so um well, all right let's, let's talk about some of the good first we'll, we'll circle back to the to the other part here in a couple minutes but I think the place you got to start here is is Xavier Johnson Galen you mentioned this uh, as, as you got started, he ends the game with 24 points, six rebounds, eight assists, um, only one turnover. And and I just thought, again, really came out and set the tone uh, on the offensive end and really tried to get into Peyton Willis early. Got got called for a foul and a three-pointer, and but, but continued to be really aggressive defensively to the point where I was very concerned that he was going to pick up his second foul pretty quickly. He managed not to do that. Um, and really played under control in this in the first half. Made some nice passes, took shots when they were there. Uh, you know, may have taken a couple wild ones driving to the basket, but I think you're going to have to live with some of that with him. Uh, but again, was really the tone setter uh, for IU. And even late in the game, 
you know, was the guy that stepped up. He he went one of two a couple trips uh, to the free throw line. Both of them, the second miss kind of rimmed out, was right on, and has become a more reliable free throw shooter, but hit the two uh, there at the end to, to put it away. And I just thought another really, really strong – uh, performance from from Xavier Johnson as he continues to to really grow into his role and uh, as you said I think is pretty pretty clearly establishing himself as the as the most important guy on this team he's managed it's, it's fascinating I didn't believe this when someone told me I had to look it up he's actually leading IU in possessions used uh, he's ahead of Trace Jackson Davis he's ahead of Romeo Langford in the one season that Romeo Langford was at IU and possessions used, which I didn't think was humanly possible. But we've needed that these last few games out of Xavier Johnson. Three straight games in double figures, uh, 16 points in the Ohio State game, 24 against Maryland, 24 tonight against Minnesota. And look, I think the biggest criticism that you can have of this IU team is that they are constantly in this battle against passivity on offense. Uh, it's like this gravitational pull that we've seen for a few years now where they just, you look at other teams, athletic teams, the way that they play on offense, you know, many of them look like they're constantly moving. They're, they're in positions where they're doing things. And IU just tends to slide back into what we've seen for the last several years of let's stand around and pass to one guy and see if that guy can shoot. And Xavier Johnson's like the one player that you can always count on is not going to voluntarily do that. Uh, he drives when he can. He looks for opportunities. Sometimes he goes overboard. And I mean, at the beginning of this game, I was a little bit concerned because you're always worried you're going to get wild card Xavier Johnson as opposed to, um, you know, a, a more uh, a more like reasonable Xavier Johnson. But he really settled into his role in this game. And so when I think about where Indiana would be right now this season without him, I, I do really like wonder what that what's that alternate reality look like. And you consider that this was the first game he's had a backup point guard even to come in and give him a few spare minutes over the course of the last few games. So I don't have I don't have enough superlatives for what he was able to do overall in this contest. Eight assists, one turnover, and twenty four points is just a tremendous outing for a point guard, and it's exactly what IU needed. Yeah, Coach, thoughts on uh, on X tonight? Just fantastic. I mean, it, you know, the game is a is a guard's game, and he's just taking over, and, and he's doing a nice job of taking shots that are available to him. A every that are good shots. He took a couple, um, you know, that I thought were quick or falling away in, in the in the paint, but. You, you almost want people to do that uh, if you're going to be aggressive. But his step in three has been really nice. I think he's up over 36% on the season. That That's good. Uh, I, I really liked the, the one play where he drove the lane and played off two feet, uh, didn't force a shot, and hit Tamar for Tamar's three uh, on the wing. Uh, a, a, as you guys mentioned, the number of assists. He can score and he can be a playmaker. That combination is going to make Indiana's offense better, which it needs to be because it's been so poor for most of the season. And the last two games, yes, it's Maryland and Minnesota. We got to remember that. Um, but, uh, again, we had good uh, portions against uh, Wisconsin-Ohio State and just lost games uh, late. So th this is, um, you know, X is a little more mentally tough um, the last few games, consistently uh, mentally tough, uh, you know, doing some things. He got a little loose with it, as did everyone in the last uh, few minutes uh, of the game. But, man, you know, you understand why he was brought into this program. You understand that 
good X, a uh, great X is really good for Indiana. Yeah, I think with him, and this is a little bit of the, you talked about this a little bit too, with just being able to get out and have, and the way that he can push the pace and force the issue a little bit. He had the great, great pass to Geronimo coming down the lane on a break. And I think ultimately I was going to wait and talk about this as the kind of third storyline, but I guess let's talk about the, the last part of it. I think, I think a portion of what it was was that IU just started wanting the clock to run out. And, and Woodson got yes. pissed at Fennessey for taking the three-pointer. And I kind of get it. It's off of one pass. There's 25 seconds left. I totally understand. Um, but I don't know that the the one he took the possession or two before that was off too many more passes than that. It was a good shot. IU was playing at a reasonably good pace. Minnesota was not playing good defense and giving IU a lot of what they – they wanted offensively, and I thought they kind of got in their own way a little bit with just trying to let the clock run out, and it got away. There's got to be a balance there of, yes, the clock is your friend in that scenario, but you can't totally get away from everything that you did during the rest of it. Now, the flip side of that is I thought Minnesota got hot in the same way that IU got hot in the first half where you see a couple go in the basket and, everything, and, every, and it opens up, and Minnesota's playing with no pressure whatsoever. At that point, you're down 25, throw a couple shots in, they go up, you get, you get some confidence. I'm not saying that I you didn't contribute to that confidence, um, in in terms of the way that they play defense, but, um, and then I you just got really lax with the ball. TJD had three, you know, they had ten turnovers in the game. They had four of them really close together in a stretch between like Rob and and TJD. But um, Galen, yeah. what do you 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 clearly the look on your face says you clearly have thoughts about uh, about what contributed to that sequence. So I'll well, to you first. I think it's a little bit of what you said, but I just think they got lazy. And, and I mean, maybe lazy is the like too pejorative of a term, but this team loses focus so easily. We see it time and time and time again. Sometimes it's in smaller spurts, and, and we've seen it certainly on the road. Whether it was the game at Wisconsin or the game at Iowa or the game at Ohio State, uh, you know, they, they just have this tendency to switch off at entirely the wrong times. But I think it was exacerbated here because it, it would happen on both ends of the floor, and, and it wasn't just the turnovers; it was just what makes this team work is how hard they play defense. They were getting lauded for their defensive intensity on the telecast, and rightfully so in the first half. They made life really difficult, and then they just let their foot completely off the gas. And Minnesota's like, well, we're not done playing. And you combine that with the very sloppy play that they had on the offensive end and the inability to catch the ball when it's thrown and uh, you know poor shot selection. Th- this is – this is a constant issue with this roster. And it's something that, again, it stretches back before this year, I think. Uh, but I, I don't think it was a case of them just I – mean, I think certainly they, they were like, oh, okay, we got this. We're up by 20-something. But it just fit a pattern we've seen out of IU basketball in so many other games that we've seen not just this year but in the last couple of years that uh, I don't know what the answer to it is, but it's, it's annoying when you see it. And I think it's why people – have such a hair trigger with this team because they've seen it so many times. Coach, what do you, what do you attribute it to? Uh, I think it's, it's a combination of lost focus um, by the players being up. And also the emphasis was to, to eat some clock and be patient and that subliminally in the minds, then everyone just let go. And Galen's absolutely correct. Defensive intensity waned the offensive ability, uh, the offensive focus TJD caught a ball. That was a nice pass and it just went through his hands. Then he dribbled into three guys, um, teams that don't have good concentration and focus play bad. And, and, that's that combination with the hot shooting of Minnesota, the incredible shooting of Minnesota, 
uh, made it a, a, a much tighter game than it than it should have been. Um, but you know that that's you know it's the old prevent defense uh, in football. You know it prevents you from 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 winning. You're not going to blitz in in some situations. You're not going to keep trying to shoot in the first five seconds of a shot clock. It's not bad strategy, but you've got to have a mature team in order to handle it. And I I think Galen's absolutely correct that the maturity, the basketball maturity of this group has been in question for for some time now, multiple years and, and this season with with playing consistent basketball. And it it reared up uh, its ugly head again uh, today. But, you know, when you're up 27 and, and you want to run clock, then that you sit back on defense and think the next guy is going to switch or take this close out or you don't have to box out and you don't have to rebound. And when a team gets hot and, fi- you know, the water finds its level type stuff and, and you get a kid who's on that, this stuff happens and, and you can't do that to win win consistently and that's been part of what indiana's been fighting and playing well and then losing late games to wisconsin playing well and losing late games to ohio state is it's 40 minutes of hard concentration of playing the right way regardless of the scoreboard um and uh, coaches have to be aware of what they say that affects it and players have to be aware of their mentality because if you're the best team you're going to play 40 minutes uh 30 31 you know games during the season or, or most of those games and Indiana is obviously not one of them, but unfortunately Indiana won. So, um, but I, that did lost focus and, and the clock issue was, was added to it, I think. And I'll, I'll chip in on this. I mean, everybody wants to assign a certain percentage of blame one way or another, uh, as players, is it, was it Woodson? I mean, look, I think Woodson deserves some blame in this one. He, he's, I think he thinks this team is a lot more mature and advanced in the way that they approach the game of basketball than they actually are. And he, you know, he's used to dealing with professional basketball players who even on the Knicks have like some modicum of understanding of what you're supposed to do, uh, you know, as a professional basketball player. And we've seen several times this season, a group that just gets lost out on the floor and needs basically to be like pulled aside and told what to do. And I, you know, I felt like Woodson spent a lot of timeouts early on in the season doing exactly that, and it had pretty good results overall. And then as the season's gone along, as I think is reasonable to expect, he's been like, all right, you guys know enough. I've, I've told you enough times. you got to figure it out yourself. And yet they really don't have the ability to figure out themselves. It seems like you have to have the timeouts. You have to have like the little stoppages where you pull them back in and re-instruct them on things. And look, that's – it certainly looks like something Woodson's not used to doing, but he's going to have to figure it out with this group because I just I don't see them suddenly finding religion here over the last three or four games of the season. Galen, you, I think you're you're spot on with that. There's one thing to trust your players and trust your team, but there's also some you could have guys you like, but you need to guide them. Uh, and I think the college game needs more guidance. Even your better programs uh, see coaches uh, calling uh, uh, sets. Uh, you know, schools have the whiteboards with the sets up. They call timeout when it's an 8-0 run or a 10-0 run to calm the team down. It's one of my favorite features of some of the television coverage of when they have the live mic in the in the timeouts. And a lot of it is not X's and O's. It's just kind of guiding these guys to to what it, what needs to be done to play. And and I think that is the biggest adjustment that that Woodson is is having this year is that he's used to guys knowing what needs to be done. The X's and O's thing seems to be working out, but. Uh, even veteran teams need uh, need some of that guidance at the collegiate level. I, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that the only other point that I wanted to bring up 
was you know, they, they made a big deal on the broadcast, like the way that Woodson used timeouts. I, he did call one in the midst of that run, but he kind of let him play it out there toward the end. And I don't know if that is his way of saying, you guys are going to have to figure out how to win some of these games that come down this way eventually. And he was willing to, you know, kind of ride it out in that scenario. Um, but, you know, I think he took one right before the under four timeout, but I don't know that he took another one. Um, and so I, cause I think they came back and, and they said something to humble about it. And he, he said, well, I'll tell you if I think it's a good decision in two minutes, 50 seconds, when I see if they won or not. Um, I don't, I don't know, coach, did you, did you kind of interpret that as him just saying, Hey, you guys got to figure this out. He keeps talking about how to get him over the hump and some of that stuff of just saying it, th- it's on you guys at this point to figure out, or I, I, I think that's a- absolutely what he was doing. I don't know that I agree with it, but I, I, I don't will know give if him it has credit. A desired effect, other than winning this game, I don't know that the next time this happens, they feel any more confident in those. Right, I, I think you know he's been trying to get these guys to finish late games, and he's just going to say you're going to have to figure it out. Uh, the the concern for me is in late game situations. We go back to the a heavy emphasis on post feeding the post and standing still and, and other teams are defending it when we've run good stuff most of the last three games and it seems in crunch time end of first half we have poor execution end of second half we have poor execution and either it's guys are worn out from too many minutes or we go back to just the basic offense that we're running which everyone knows and has prepared the scouting report there are times when maybe you need to run something or actions. I know the idea of sets and actions, but move people uh, a, a little bit. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't have my finger on it, but Indiana does not execute well late in halves. Uh, even up up 10 with the ball, I thought, in the first half and, and went into halftime at 7. And well, so I yeah. just think there needs to be more uh, concerted effort uh, from the coaching staff to guide those guys in those late and not just trust them to do stuff uh, at the end, even though, you know, uh, winning time is usually players time. You got to make shots and you got to make plays, but I think you can put them in good positions to do that. And, and I'm not sure Indiana does. The, the problem is there's no bread and butter on this team offensively. Like, the, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, I don't, he, he's not able to do what he was doing earlier on in the year. He's just not. Teams are just like we're going to double or triple you, and we're going to make you dribble directly into us, and you have nowhere else to go with the ball. Uh, if unless Xavier Johnson has the ball and is able to get a lane and is willing to drive in and try to draw contact and get a layup, which is actually what we ended up seeing towards the end of this game that kept IU afloat, they don't have another reliable option. I mean, Race Thompson is more of a cleanup guy. And Miller Kopp and Parker Stewart have been completely inconsistent from outside. I mean, if you toss them either in the ball, even off action, you don't even know if they're going to get a shot up, let alone if it's going to go in. So, you know, it's, it's certainly you'd like to see more. And certainly, you know, I'm sure the coaching staff could try to put something else in, but their players haven't performed in those times. And so you end up with this very stagnant looking offense whenever you're down to crunch time on the clock. And I don't know if there's a good answer at this point. You can't bring anybody no. off the bench in to, to, to do anything different at this point. There, there's no closer. Yeah. Yeah. You know. think, well, and I think that's what we talked about so many other times, right? When the, the default setting of the team in, in late game is to throw the ball inside. And if he doesn't finish or find somebody else, then it's, uh, you know, then it, then you see what happened today during that stretch where trace really struggled he seemed like as as much as any of the guys he kind of you know was lax in that stretch on the defensive end and on and on offense and and it contributed to letting him back in it versus you see uh you know we're coach we were texting about this earlier you know 
Trent Frazier at the end of the Illinois game is just like ready to rip the heart out of everybody in Michigan and hit a huge three that was much tougher than many of the shots that IU took uh, during the same stretch. And I think it's just a matter of how quickly can you get the guys that can do that to be in at the end of the game when you really have one guy that can create with the ball in his hands. But all right, we're going to take a break. There's a lot more positives that I want to get to in terms of how they built the lead, but I think we can do that in meaningful moments. So I'm going to, uh, we'll break, and then when we come back, we will uh, continue breaking down IU's five-point win at the barn, and we'll point out some meaningful moments you might have missed, and then get inside the numbers. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hi, this is A.J. Moye. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers! Welcome back to the Assembly Call. This is your host, Andy Bottoms. I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast. And we are breaking down IU's 84-79 to road win at Minnesota. And now it is time for... Meaningful moments that you might have missed. All right, lots of meaningful moments here. And want to use these uh, a little bit to dive into some of the supporting cast for IU because they did have a number of different guys stuff up. I think I counted... Uh, eight guys had at least five points in this game, which is about as balanced a scoring effort as we're probably going to see this team have, I would say. Um, so first, let's talk Jordan Geronimo. Uh, a few moments uh, from him, for sure. He uh, had a really good stretch in the second half, uh, kept, kept the ball alive on a missed three-pointer that ended up uh, you know, kind of saving a possession for IU. Uh, but then uh, – and, and TJD eventually gets a putback. He got a dunk in transition – on the very next possession. And then he had a great defensive play uh, on a block a few possessions later where um, Battle, I think, felt like he had faked him out uh, and was ready to go up for a shot. And uh, he most definitely had not been faked out and was able to recover and block the shot uh, there and, and just thought he made a ton of great hustle plays. He ends up with uh, 10 points for the game, hit a couple free throws in the first half. The only missed shot he had was a, a missed three that he took off of uh, he's kind of made a habit of this, of, of making a really strong pass fake 
uh, to the guy in the corner and and uh, found himself with an open three, took that shot, missed it, but did have uh, you know three rebounds, 10 points, as I, as I mentioned, a blo- that block. Uh, just thought he really gave great energy uh, off the bench as, uh, as IU you know, needed him to come in, and he got to play some extended minutes because Race Thompson picked up his third foul fairly early in the second half. Uh, so Geronimo got some extended run during that stretch, didn't play a lot uh, down the stretch of the game, but uh, really thought he played well. Uh, in his action uh, tonight, uh, Coach, thoughts on uh, on Geronimo coming off the bench? I, I just love his uh, energy and, and his athleticism. Uh, he he just does a good job from that rebound tip basket that he had the other game um, to some actions uh, around the rim. But his effort uh, in rebounding, and sometimes we we don't end up with the rebound, but boy, he he has a quick bounce and he gets up and and he gets it and and then. I, I like the way, you know, what he does offensively, too. He has a nice shot. He has the ability to to drive the lane and score around the rim. I just think his game is going to continue to grow, uh, whether it, it grows to a, a bigger uh, significant role this season or not. Um, uh, I'm not sure, but, you know, I like the lineup with him in at the four and race at the five and, and not disrespecting TJD, but I think that's a – a good defensive alignment at the four and five. And I think it, it spaces the floor and gives um, a race a chance to post up and do some things, but his effort, you know, and, and if he ever makes a mistake, it's not because he's not trying to do something. It's his basketball experience or, or just his, uh, you know, lack of understanding uh, the collegiate game at this point, but it's never lack of effort. And Indiana has some guys on the bench, that that come in and do that and and tonight I just thought Geronimo was fantastic yeah Galen thoughts on on him he's had a you know a a couple decent performances here recently and I think he's a guy whose minutes have 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 really ebbed and flowed over the course of the season hadn't been playing a ton but uh, really thought he stepped up tonight and and had some solid minutes in the Maryland game as well this team really doesn't hit anywhere close to its full potential unless Jordan Geronimo is contributing over about a 10 to 15 minute stretch of every game. And I think that's one of the big problems they had during the losing streak was, you know, the Illinois Northwestern games, he really didn't contribute very much in either of those. And then he barely played uh, in the next three games. And look, he's still a relatively young player. And I think, you know, it's important to remember that he's still learning the game to a large degree. He's, he's still relatively raw. When you see a game like tonight, you're like, wow, why can't he do that all the time? But I think it's informative. You know, you look at he's had two games this season in Big Ten play where he scored double figures. One of them was against Nebraska on the road, and the other one was against Minnesota, both teams that have a a less than aggressive stance when it comes to playing defense. And I think he he does a lot better when he's playing against, uh, you know, less domineering post types and he's able to move around and use his athleticism. He had some really nice plays, you know, that, that rebound put back that should have been an and one towards the end was a really key play and helped to stem the tide a little bit. You know, look, I, I, I would love to see him continue to be able to contribute the way that he contributed tonight. I think he'll be a huge factor for IU one way or another against Rutgers. Cause you know, to me, you've gotten such spotty play out of the post recently from IU that having a guy who can come in and at least grab some rebounds and maybe score somewhere between four to eight points is it's the difference between winning a game and and not and I think ultimately for IU 
Uh, they're just thin at that position, and he's he's. I wish he would stop shooting threes, but I like everything else that he's doing at this point. Yeah, I agree. He's going to be really important. Just the way that Rutgers plays, the the kinds of hustle plays that that he makes are kind of staples of what you see from Rutgers. So if he's able to play in that game and, and make a few of those plays, I think that would uh, certainly be uh, certainly be huge. Uh, Miller Cop, another guy, uh, also scored in double figures, ten points. I think they said that was his first double-figure game since the Syracuse game back in November. Uh, and I thought, you know, hit hit a couple threes. I w- was glad he was the guy who got fouled there during the one-and-one. One. It, it, you know, spun out, uh, missed the first one, but did go back and, and make a couple shortly thereafter. But I thought he had a couple good stretches as well. Uh, there was a play in the first half, the three he made there. The shot clock was running out. I think the – Either the ball had gotten tipped out of bounds, but he seemed to be the only guy to really recognize that the shot clock was about to run out. Stepped up and and just put the you know took one dribble, made a three, and then had a, a nice sequence back to back possessions. Uh, gets a three on a on a great pass from Xavier Johnson uh, in the corner that he made, and then right after that was able to put the ball on the floor, get to right about the free throw line, maybe twelve feet in, uh, made another jumper there. So I think he started to to be a little more assertive offensively in certain situations. I know they showed the one play as well where they had set something up for him. He comes off a screen and actually just didn't make a good pass to him and kind of the somewhat exasperated look on his face as he as he caught the pass and couldn't really get into a shot. Um, but I thought a, a positive performance from him. That missed. There was one of the threes he missed that I said out loud. I was like, that's the shot that you're here to make. Um, but I thought in general uh, he, he continued to – you know, show some improvement and show a little bit more life in some of these games as he's uh, shown a bit more lately, which I think is a good sign for a team that struggles to put the ball in the basket. Um, that, you know, being able to have a game like this where you get a number of guys involved from a scoring standpoint uh, hopefully bodes well and, and makes this team a little bit more uh, a little bit more difficult to defend as opposed to just, you know, relying so much on one or two guys. But uh, Galen, thoughts on uh, Cops play tonight? I've been pretty critical of Miller Cop over the course of the Big Ten season, but there really hasn't been a lot to be that critical about over the last three games. And again, similar to Jordan Geronimo, I think this team doesn't get anywhere close to its full potential without Miller Cop contributing more than six points a game, which is about – he came in and that was right about his average. You just got to get more out of him because he's got the ability to shoot. He's got the ability to move uh, You know, in, in – properly in the offense and sometimes when I watch this IU offense it feels like there's only three people at any one time that know what's supposed to be going on and cop generally looks like one of those people um, it's been puzzling frankly the lack of offensive contributions he's had over the course of most of the Big Ten season like it's shocking it's shocking that a a guy who came in as a shooter hasn't scored in double figures since the end of November and yet here we are uh, now it's nice to be able to put that to bed I just think you need to see what you saw today out of Cop, at least on the offensive end, sustained a bit more. And, you know, I didn't – I mean, he's had some struggles on defense occasionally too, but I thought he was okay on defense in this game also. Yeah, I think this is a matchup where they didn't have anybody who could completely take advantage of of what he – you know, his, his shortcomings on the defensive side. Uh, I think the only real exception was the Sutherland guy that Minnesota brought in whose uh, only offensive move was to – put his head down and drive to the basket, which worked pretty well <laughs> in a number of cases. But uh, that was a guy that cop struggled with. But otherwise, I think the way that Minnesota played allowed him to uh, to be able to play a little bit better on that end. Uh, you know, Coach, thoughts on you know anything you saw IU doing differently to get cop a little bit more involved? 
I, I've been happy the last three games of with with the player movement and the ball movement um, uh, of Indiana. They're they're doing some some different things. They 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 run a UCLA cut uh, action and, and try to get some movement of the perimeters. They they run some floppy action where uh, a, a perimeter goes under the basket and then goes off either a single or double, and then the other perimeter comes out the other side. Uh, they're running a lot of inside cut action where they pass and cut inside. So, you know, I, I just think that helps because it moves the defense. And then when you want to go back to your post-isolation stuff, then the team has forgotten that whole scouting report. And you got to just – it's a variety of actions is what I like to see uh, on, on offense because they're all good and, and, and they're all designed to score points. But you put Miller Cop on, on the move a little bit. And I know – uh, Tony did a thing where his percentile was low with on the move uh, catches, but you can put people on the move to get them uh, to get driving opportunities of the other players to get your players that step in, you know, stationary shooting. And I just think Indiana has really done that. I think Coach Woodson and staff, the last three games in the middle of their losing streak, uh, are starting to understand that they can still do a lot of the stuff that they want to do and still move people. They, they run a little weave action at the beginning, at the top, uh, just again, to make that defense move enough to hope that it breaks down. So then you can put it in rotation and then maybe find scores or find your post players. And, and I really think even back to the Ohio state game, I thought the movement and, and the design of, of stuff has been fantastic. And Indiana scores 84 points today. Uh, you know, and again, it's a, it's Minnesota and, and we beat Maryland. So you, you got to be careful, but I thought they've played well enough offensively um, in spurts against Wisconsin, against Ohio State um, to to win some ball games. So I think it's coming around. Is it enough going forward? We'll we'll see because Rutgers is a solid defensive team, and you're going to have to continue to do some of those uh, various um, movements in order to really stretch a, a solid defensive team. Yeah, I mean, well, ask Ohio State just how good. Maryland is after today. Maybe they're better than we thought. Who knows? Yeah, that's anyway. true. Um, so want to talk defense, and I'll, I'll hit you guys with any moments that you might have. There, there was the one possession, and they talked about this on the broadcast. But it was about midway through uh, the first possession or the first half. You know, TJD ends up with a block on the play, but guys just scrambling, closing out the shooters, wrote in rotation, but um, just tremendous effort on that defensive possession. You even heard, you know, you could hear the bench get excited about it. Um, and I think that was, you know, it's unfortunate, although that, that the game ended the way that it did, because I think the way the defense played gets lost in in how poorly they played down the stretch. And, and some of that is Minnesota shot making, as we talked about. But I thought that possession was phenomenal. And for as bad as I use defense was to uh, toward the end for the first 14 possessions of the second half, IU gave up five points. Um, and so they went on a stretch where they gave up about two points per possession for about half of the second half so not saying the defense was perfect but I thought there were some great defensive moments uh, where they covered for one another and really played well played incredibly hard that you know un unfortunately gets overshadowed and and to a certain extent rightfully so by the way that they played toward down the stretch but uh, coach just uh, you're a, a lover of defense I know so I, uh, I I'm sure that that stuff was uh, was fantastic for you to watch but just overall thoughts on the on the defense, we kind of talked about what happened down the stretch, but overall thoughts on the defense for the first, you know, 33 minutes of the game. 
yeah, the defense was fantastic tonight. Um, the the one th- issue that they had trouble, and I don't know what the scouting report uh, rule was on that, but they were switching a little bit of off ball and ball screens tonight, and they they were switching flat. Uh, and Minnesota was sitting down on the backside of that if they come off those screens and sitting down and shooting threes. And, and I saw Coach Woodson. I, I think TJD did it one time. I think Parker Stewart, Miller, Cop. They were switching flat uh, at the level of the screen instead of up on shooters. So, uh, you know, Indiana was up 40 to 33, but really they gave Minnesota some open looks. So I thought the defense was solid again tonight, especially that stretch in the second half where the lead got extended. That was, it was fantastic. Uh, But that was the one issue of they were switching more uh, of those screens, but they, they weren't switching aggressively. And then I thought the start of the second half, they were, doing that better. I thought it was one of the better adjustments Coach Woodson made at halftime was to switch more aggressively and to cover out so they can't do what we call sit down on the backside of screens. And then I thought the -the off-the-ball defense was fantastic. And Parker Stewart twice got in and disrupted plays that were thrown over the top uh, backside help and and got a deflection, if not a steal on one, and then a steal on on another. I thought it was, uh, you know, he gets uh, a lot of grief because he struggles guarding the bounce, but both he and Miller Cop give maximum effort on the defensive side. And even when they're beat, they try to have it contested twos. Uh, So, yeah, you, you cannot fault this team. Uh, maybe the last six or seven minutes for lack of focus, but when, when they're focused, their strength has been defense all year long, and that's what kept has kept them in uh, games, even the games that they've lost. And tonight, um, you know, it was it was uh, it was pretty solid. Gail, another other moments stand out for you, uh, whether it be certain player or uh, stretch of the game. Gosh, I mean, it all kind of goes into a blur there. It's it's like, which game do we want to talk about? The game that Indiana won by 30 or the game that Indiana lost by 28 or whatever. But no, I'm not, you know, I'd say what sticks out to me more than anything else, though, I I think is the way that this team was able to establish a flow on offense there for a while that just felt organic and natural. And, you know, as I said in the first half, it kind of felt like we were visiting the red light district of basketball. Like we weren't supposed to be here. Uh, We didn't know. It's like, wait, we're we're far away from home here. How does this feel? Uh, It it does kind of remind you that that used to be commonplace. Uh, You know, you used to see Indiana hitting a lot of shots. The defense was the larger issue. So we kind of got the full experience of like a Korean era game. It felt like in this one in a lot of ways. I mean, this was... I think Ryan Carazza had the the, the stat earlier. Um, this was Indiana's second highest points per possession output that they've had all season, and it was it was a, like one point two two points per possession. I think the Merrimack game was the only one that was higher, and the fact that they did that despite not really scoring that much down the stretch uh, in the second half just illustrates, how, you know, when this team is clicking they are a pretty good offensive team. They have guys that can knock down shots. They have a bunch of different ways to score. So that's probably what stuck out to me the most, even though it's like one of those things where you look at it, you're like, is there any chance we could repeat this a couple of times before the season's over? And I'm not totally sure if that's possible given who they're playing uh, the remainder of the season, but it was nice to see for a change. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I I talked about the splits on the defensive side. They were just as stark on the offensive side. So there was, IU had 36 possessions in the second half. They scored uh, 30 points on the first 19. So that's almost 1.6 points per possession. 
and then they scored 14 in the last 17, so 0.82, so about half of what they did uh, early. So, you know, everything is clicking in the first part of the, the, the half in terms of offense looks as good as it has, the defense was playing so well, and uh, just crazy that the drop of a hat, how things can change for this team, although, again, I don't know that we should be incredibly surprised by that at this point. Um, Coach, any other uh, meaningful moments from you? No, I, I, the Parker Stewart one I, I wrote down because he he was has been struggling on, on defense. I, I thought uh, his backside help at the start of the second half was was really important. I, I thought uh, playing basketball off two feet is it, just tremendous. And I thought Xavier Johnson did a great job of that. You know, we look at his points and his assists and rebounds, and those are great, fantastic uh, stat lines. But he played the game from a guard's perspective. That was that was just tremendous, and those, those assists he had that fast break assist to cop for a three, I believe, and and we've talked about the other ones to Geronimo and Tamar. Um, that that's you know Villanova's guards do a great job. If you want to watch good guard play, watch Villanova. They jump, you know, they drive in the lane, they pivot, they find scores, uh, and and Xavier Johnson really did that uh, well tonight. So his footwork tonight, I thought was was outstanding. Uh, and that helped him uh, have have a very productive night. All right. Well, let's uh, let's transition. Go inside the numbers here. The segment, as always, sponsored by the Power Rank, where our friend Ed uses data and analytics to make accurate football and college basketball predictions. He also writes an incredible March Madness guide every year, which we'll have a special offer for you on once March Madness once March rolls around. But for now, if you want sports betting advice with a PhD edge, or if you just like understanding sports at a more analytical level. You should subscribe to Ed's free newsletter. You can do that by going to thepowerrank.com slash AC to subscribe. Again, that's thepowerrank.com slash AC. All right, let's go uh, inside the numbers here. We talked about some of the uh, point-per-possession numbers. Um, Galen, I'll throw it to you first. What, uh, what numbers stand out to you as you look down the stat sheet here? I think the biggest ones for me, as I look down the stat sheet hurriedly here, since you threw it to me at a time I didn't think, but it was, no, it's clearly that you take Rob Finnessy and Michael Durr out and almost every player for IU averaged over a point per possession on offense. Uh, Parker Stewart was almost there. He was at a 98, but everybody else was, was significantly over the one point per possession mark. And Jordan Geronimo was probably the, the shining light there at a, 174 which is really good i mean that that is i used this possession and it scored me points and that's what you want out of that and that's just not something we see very often uh, out of this iu team Uh, you know the i think that uh, when you combine it with indiana being able to score again almost a point and a quarter per possession and again not turn the ball over that much i mean they they had 10 turnovers on the night but that's only a turnover percentage of about 15 percent if they can keep doing that, I think they've got a, a pretty good chance of winning games down the stretch here. Uh, you know, they, they've really solved, I think, a, a significant amount of their turnover issues, and they continue to do so, and it's always a concern. But, you know, that having the ability to hold on to the basketball has always been a big part of what this team needed to do if it was going to get better on offense. And I think we've seen both in the last game and in this game, it can lead to some good things and some higher efficiency numbers. Yeah, Coach, what uh, what numbers stand out to you? Well, 
I just we've talked a lot about him, but eight assists uh, in a game where a guard scores twenty four points. I think that combination of minutes, uh, and then Parker Stewart. I'm not a big plus minus guy, but you know Ryan needs to get something on here. So, um, but Parker Stewart was uh, plus fifteen for his his time there with uh, five rebounds, and then forty seven point six percent shooting from three. I, I know that's probably not sustainable over time. And, and maybe that was just a one-off type of situation. But again, I, I just think the pace of the offense is better uh, with movement. I think uh, Indiana decided to run tonight, whether that was scouting report against Minnesota or, or not. I liked seeing the faster pace uh, of offense. I think that again, forces defenses not to be set and uh, I think early we tried to do that and turn the ball over 87 times against Marshall or whatever that was, and then we backed off a little bit and tried to slow it down because turnovers, or it might have been Louisiana, I think one of those games we had 27 uh, turnovers, something like that. And um, so I- I'm glad to see us getting back to some of that pace because it's it's hard to set your defense in transition, and you can find, I mean, we talked about those those few plays that – were made in transition for for buckets. We see that all the time when you watch college basketball. So I think that the better shooting is because you're getting less contested shots, and you're doing that because of pace, and you're doing that because there's a little more movement uh, where the defense is struggling to to guard Indiana, and we're maximizing uh, our our ability, which is you know a little bit above average or average, if you if you want to say, compared to other college basketball teams. That's the positive going forward. Now you got to do it against a, a pretty good Rutgers team who's also fighting for an NCAA berth, and then you got to go into Purdue, and then you got the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, it, two games, three games in a row, I think Indiana's offense has been pretty good, but 47.6% uh, shooting and multiple guys, especially Rob Finnessy. I know his offensive production wasn't good. He's coming back off after a long layoff. He was rusty, but he still went two for four from three, uh, had eight points, uh, did some things. His passing was, was a little bit off. That's to be expected when, when a guy hasn't had game action for, for a long period of time. But if he can come back and do that in his first game and just keep getting better and better, uh, those offensive numbers are, are good, good to look at. Yeah, I think if you if you look, um, yeah, Fantasy was one I was going to point out. You know, he gets to play nine minutes. Um, I, I don't know what, if any, kind of minutes restriction he was on, but I certainly wouldn't didn't expect him uh, to play a ton. But good to see him get back out there. I thought, to your point, Coach looked a little rusty from a a passing standpoint. I thought defensively though looked pretty good. Seemed to be moving pretty well, which I think you know coming off of a, a foot injury is what you're looking for just about as much as anything. Uh, had a nice drive to the basket in the first half where he was able to. Uh, you know where he was able to score uh at the hoop and then hit a couple threes in the second half so good to see him back out there um figure out how you know can he continue to build on that in some of these games coming up where they're going to need uh his defense on the floor and and at least give some other options with with Galloway still out of there um interestingly coach I, I thought the same thing as you about the pace but Minnesota outscored IU in fast break point 16 to 5 I don't know how many of those were just hurrying it up the floor and gunning threes in the second half but um you know, bench points. It felt I, like we had more. We had more on the so break too. than that. I thought so too. But um, see, that shows you what coaches know. They know nothing. <laughs> like I watched that game and took notes and didn't pick that up. Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't have thought that. I either. still think it's a pace thing of cutting and moving. You know, as much as transition, um, we're just moving faster. Yeah, I, I, I we're agree. moving. I, period. I the same thing. If you told me it was sixteen to five, I would have guessed it was flipped the other way around. Um, 
Bench points, IU outscores Minnesota 23 to 13. Uh, Minnesota not particularly deep, so I don't know if that's surprising, but I think it underscores the contributions that IU did get uh, off of the bench. Tamar Bates had uh, five points, uh, had some nice moments in the first half. I think defensively struggled a little bit in the second. Uh, we talked about Geronimo, we talked about Fennessey uh, in that regard. Um, you know, Minnesota, just, just if you look at their shot distribution, they took 58 field goals, 36 of them were threes. In the second half, they took 10 twos compared to 21 threes. Now, a component of that is falling behind and, and uh, doing some of those things. But, yeah, they end up shooting 42.9% uh, for the game from three. Uh, again, I thought a number of those were contested. IU did let them get at least a little bit comfortable. But um, pretty pretty interesting to see the way they divvied up the shots where they had them uh, overall. But, uh, yeah, I think otherwise, I think you guys hit most of the ones that uh, that stood out to me uh, in terms of uh, – in terms of numbers, I guess let's talk TJD real quick because we really haven't mentioned him at all, and, and maybe we can lump race in this discussion as well. You know, those two uh, combined for 22 points, 14 for Trace, eight for Race, uh, eight rebounds for TJD, six for Race. Uh, Trace had three assists, I think, by the fir- maybe by the first media timeout. He finished with three assists on the game as well. Three turnovers, which all came really close together uh, during that stretch uh, late in the game. A couple blocks, a couple steals, so a little bit of everything. Uh, for him, and then and then race as I mentioned, got the couple early fouls in the second half, uh, sat for a little while, but did come back for the the stretch run and had that dunk off the assist from Parker Stewart. So, um, you know, Galen, overall thoughts on the the starting front court from IU? Those two guys have typically been anchors for for IU, and I don't know if it's telling or not that we're you know fifty plus minutes in and we really haven't mentioned either of those guys too much. I I guess maybe overall it's a good sign for the IU offense, but uh, overall impressions of their play tonight. I mean, I thought race was fine. I he was it was it was not the type of game I thought that race Thompson could make the same sorts of contributions that he normally made. This was going to be a game that was going to be um, that you turn into a game that had a lot of outside shooting, a lot of driving to the basket, and so for what he had to work with, I thought he was fine. I thought his rebounding was timely, and I thought he played pretty consistently throughout most of the game. Um, Trace was kind of a it was a, it was a tale of two games for Trace Jackson Davis. I thought he started off strong. I thought his early moves to the basket offensively were really impressive, and he looked like he was building up a nice head of steam and was you know going to maybe be on his way to a double double or you know the very least scoring twenty points or so. And then he he really looked like he lost a lot of focus on both ends of the floor on the last ten minutes of the game, and that really bothers me a bit with Trace because ultimately this team is going to go as far as Trace Jackson Davis takes it. Uh, and when, when he switches off, I think that has an effect on the rest of the team. And unfortunately, you know, fortunately it didn't, it didn't hurt anything this time around, but I do worry about it because he does not seem like the same player that he was a couple of months ago, just from an energy and focus perspective. Uh, and so, you know, maybe this is just like February doldrums and maybe he'll come out of it as we get into these last two games or the, uh, the the regular season of the Big Ten. But, you know, I, I thought that his the lack of playing a 40-minute game was a little bit of a concern. I don't think it's like a panic button sort of thing, but it's something I'd like to see him rectify in this game against Rutgers coming up. Yeah, I, I, I'm concerned about Trace Jackson Davis' overall play in the last seven, eight games. Um, it, it's been less than ideal, um, and everyone goes through slumps. Sometimes you go through physical slumps. Sometimes you go through mental slumps. Uh, it, it's a heavy burden when you're the All-American and you're expected to carry the load 
uh, every night. That's not easy, but that's been granted to him or given to him or expected, whatever. And then he has the options to do with it what 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 he needs to do. But the focus issue, Galen, is a is a hundred percent concerning from my vantage point as well. Just those last three catches, he he came back in and the, the game was at twenty five, twenty four at that point when he replaced Durr at seven, and he 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 wasn't. Yeah, it's easy too when you're up 25 not to not to feel a sort a sense of urgency, but it's still not good. Um, you know there is no excuse for that, uh, and he let the ball slip out of his hands a couple times. But I, I, you've seen that way too many times. Whether it's the foul situation, and Jared's mentioned it all the time that he gets two fouls and he sits, and then he comes back in the second half, and it's and it's a little bit of all oh, something bad's happened to me. And he doesn't reach down deep and, and then make the adjustments to fight it in appropriate ways. He just allows stuff to happen to him. And then some of it is, too, is that people have taken away his bread and butter, and he doesn't have a whole lot of other uh, skills to, to go to. You saw him take that 15-foot jumper, and he really just shot-putted it. He didn't shoot it like a, a regular shooter. And it's obvious that if Coach Woodson says that he's supposed to shoot those or can, and he doesn't, that he lacks confidence. And even really talented players can have a confidence issue. And so, you know, I'm not down there all the time. I don't know what's going on. But, yeah, he has, other than the the Wisconsin game where he had 30, uh, he has not been the dominant player that we all expected to be. And let, let's hope that's, uh, you know, that he can wash that out of his system and have a, a good run here at the end of the season. All right. Well, coming up here on the assembly call, we're going to hand out our game calls. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Also, make sure you shine, sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 9,000 of your fellow IU fans have subscribed. You can join for free today at join.assemblycall.com. Again, that's join.assemblycall.com. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast, and we are breaking down Indiana's 84-79 to victory 
over Minnesota. And now it's time for game balls. Uh, I feel like this, um, not unlike uh, the last game, will be an easy one. So, uh, Galen, I'll throw it to you first. I, I mean, I'm just going to say Xavier Johnson. Like, there's no, there's no other choice here. Uh, he was absolutely the reason how you won the game. Uh, his his ability all over the floor was a turning point, I think, from the, the get-go. And I felt the most comfortable with the ball in his hands of anybody on the floor for IU the entire game. So easy choice for me. I, I don't think there's any anybody else that comes even remotely close. Yep, I would uh, tend to agree. Coach, same? No. Uh, Agree. Just fantastic effort by by the young man again, and and, and for me, it, it's the stats are are easy to look at and and say that he played a good game, but it's how he's doing it. Um, the mistakes are a lot, uh, you know, far and few between. His play is with poise. Uh, you always worry about him getting a little too emotional and at officials or other players or whatever else. But I, I just think that he's in the last uh, couple games has just really played with a lot of poise. As I mentioned before, fundamentally was fantastic tonight uh, with, with his game. And that that with a, a awesome stat line just makes it easy game ball. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. This one is uh, about as easy as about as easy as they get. Thought he really set the tone in the first half. And then he was the guy to close it out uh, down the down the stretch with the free throws and um just just continues to string together solid performances which is exactly what this team needs uh at this point in the season when uh they've got some critical games coming up so make it unanimous Xavier Johnson gets the game ball uh on to the Hoosier Hustle Award which uh will be maybe maybe a few other options to look at for this um the Hoosier Hustle Award is sponsored by our friends over at Evansville Security Services Based in the hometown of IU legend Calvert Chaney, Evansville Security Services provides off-duty police officers to businesses and individuals throughout Indiana. Remember, prevention cannot be measured, so let Evansville Security Services help you prevent a bad outcome today. Go to EvansvilleSecurityServices.com to learn more. Again, that's EvansvilleSecurityServices.com. All right, Coach, I'll give you a first crack at this one. Who gets your Hoosier Hustle Award tonight? There's there's two choices for me. Uh, one is uh, Geronimo. The other is Parker Stewart. Um, being the defensive guy, I really love the two steals, the two backside help uh, of Parker Stewart. I think that you know he he has been struggling to to find himself all year offensively and even defensively in his role on the team and all that kind of stuff. I just thought it was a quiet. Um, but efficient effort tonight uh, for him uh, on both ends of the floor. So I, I think I'm going to go with Parker Stewart. I, I also could easily go with uh, Geronimo, but my my nomination is going to be Parker Stewart. All right, Galen, what about you? Yeah, I had the same two. I'll go the other direction because I think it's pretty it's pretty close. Like you, you know, as much as Parker Stewart's contributions came in those steals, and again, I thought he, he did play fairly well. Uh, defensively, Jordan Geronimo's efforts on offense, on the boards, I thought were really uh, important at key moments and at a position that IU desperately needed them in. So, again, close call there, but I will go with Geronimo barely over Stewart. All right. Well, I appreciate it. There you go, Andy. I appreciate you guys conspiring to leave it to me to uh, break the tie. (laughs) So, I always appreciate that. I'm going to go with Geronimo. I I think – he continues to be a guy that I'd like to see a little bit more of, uh, and I thought the minutes that he gave in the second half when Race had to go out with three fouls, I think 
we look at all the things that race does for the team and anytime he's not on the floor you get a little concerned uh as it as it turned out we had reason to get concerned later but not in that exact moment uh but i thought geronimo came in uh gave some good minutes there uh really in both halves uh solid performance for him so i will uh i will give it to jordan for the hoosier hustle award uh all right so now is typically time we look at our lingering question, which I think at this point is uh, almost entirely centered around bracketology and where IU fits in the overall uh, scheme of the bubble. So uh, we'll uh, let we'll talk through that for a minute, and you know maybe what to look for in these next few games. I guess I would I would qualify all this with it's not just what you do; it's what others around you do. Uh, and as we saw yesterday, there was a ton of losses for people at the top of the seed list but the net effect of that was fairly minimal change because everybody lost Uh, on the bubble I'd say it's a little bit different story because it seemed to me that fewer teams that were right around the cut line actually lost now save for SMU really getting blown out today uh, Oregon losing uh, late against USC last night but most of the bubble teams kind of held serve which is essentially what um, IU did as well so uh, Coach, I'll throw this one to you first. Um, I guess two questions, and Galen, I'll ask you the same too. One, where do you uh, at Delphi have IU right now, or or as of when you did your uh, your latest list, and and what do you think they need to do uh, over the remainder of the season to to feel a little bit safer than they do today? Well, we had a big meeting last Wednesday and put out our list on Friday, but a lot of things happened uh, since then. So uh, I, I, for those listening, I do a total refresh every day. Um, so I don't look at a team on one line and then have to move them down for a loss and up for a wins or whatever. So I make sure I just look at total resume for total body of work. That's my way of doing it. It's a little difficult to, you know, go one through 68 every, every time. It'd be much easier just to move a team up and down. But, but I totally refresh once the net rankings come out, totally uh, upload the data brand new and, and start going one through 68. Um, as of Friday, we had Indiana out, either first team out or second team out. But now in, in looking over things this weekend and seeing some of the results this weekend, I think Indiana's on the 11 seed line. And depending what is your emphasis as a committee member, Indiana is either out or they're at the top of the 11 seed line, maybe even get the bottom of a, a 10 seed line. If if the committee is all about uh, quality of wins, then I think Indiana stacks up against some of the other bubbles because they have, you know, the, the win against Ohio State, the win against Purdue, Notre Dame, the St. John's win is looking better. If you're just looking at things that have typically the committee's looked at, Strength of schedule, non-conference schedule is down the road. You only had three road wins. The net is okay, um, but you're looking at a six and ten record in quad one and two, which is not. I mean, it doesn't keep you out, but it's not great. Um, so it puts you in competition, and I, I think Notre Dame moving to a quad one and hopefully Notre Dame staying in fifty just makes the resume uh, look better. That way, you don't have to discuss Notre Dame. You just know it's a quad three uh, quad one win so we moved them back in uh, today before indiana played uh we moved indiana back in in comparing to smu who lost earlier uh we moved them back in but just as quickly they can move back out before they play uh on tuesday that's how treacherous it is to be on this backside of the bubble and then conference tournaments start and if you know murray state gets beat 
that's a bid thief. And so you have one less place for an at-large team, and Indiana's going to be sweating the conference tournaments. Last year, Georgetown came out of nowhere to win. Oregon State came out of nowhere. Was not going to, Those two teams were not going to be at-larges and took two spots away. So Indiana has to deal with that. That being said, your second question, I think Indiana has to beat Rutgers, must um, beat Rutgers, uh, compete well against Purdue, and then probably win the 8-9 game in the Big Ten, and that rivals what Ohio State did in 2019 when it was Ohio State-Indiana. The winner of that 8-9 game was probably going to go, and, and Ohio State went at 19-14. and 14. Uh, I think uh, Indiana's resume is going to be somewhat similar to that. I think Indiana gets in with an 11 seed if they win two more games. Um, I would love it to be the first two they play. That, that would seal it, I think, uh, for me. Galen, I believe I saw either on Friday or at some point over the re- weekend you had put out a set of bracket projections. So I guess same yep. two questions to you. I actually did it this morning. It's the first bracket of the year for me. I, I like to wait till I can. All track of time. You could have told me it was Friday, and I clearly would have believed you. But I like was, to I like, I like, twelve hours like, ago. But I'm good. I like to smell March a little bit before I actually do my first bracket. You know, this makes it feel more real. But yeah, I had Indiana, and they were my last non-play-in game at-large team. So they were they were fifth in the um in the in the list there for at-larges. But much like Coach said. I don't really know what the committee's going to go with. You know, you, you look at a team like Rutgers, who Lunardi has in ahead of Indiana, and it's like, well, you can't really have both. Like, you either value right. Rutgers, who has a lot of wins but has a terrible net, or you value Indiana, who doesn't have nearly as many wins, but their metrics and their predictives are all significantly better than Rutgers. I, I hate it when you see bracketologists try to look smart on national television by by basically disobeying their own criteria. That's another rant for a different podcast. Uh, but I look at, like, if, if the committee really likes the Rutgers profile, I think Indiana's in trouble because there's no way they're going to be able to rally on that front. And there's teams like, uh, you know, Creighton and, and some of these teams that are in the 60s. Miami, I think, falls into this category who are just going to have more wins than Indiana. And there's not a lot Indiana can do about it other than making a deep run in the Big Ten tournament, which, let's be honest, historically seems kind of unlikely. Um you know, that said, I think, you know, they don't have to beat Rutgers, but they have to win one of their last two games in the regular season, and they have to win their first Big Ten tournament game. I mean, I think those – because if they beat Purdue and lose to Rutgers, they're going to get in. And if they beat Rutgers and lose to Purdue, but they beat Michigan, who I think is almost certainly going to be their 8-9 opponent, then they're going to get in. Um, you know, the, so that's really what it comes down to. Like, the Rutgers game becomes the pivotal game of the whole season – and if they win that, they're going to have – what are they – is it – they at um, – on the season at that point, they are 19 wins. They're 10 wins in conference. Even if they lost their next two, I have a hard time seeing the committee leaving a 10-10 and 10 Big Ten team that has multiple wins against Tier 1 squads out of the tournament. Uh, I mean, like it just that just seems unlikely to me, given what we've seen out of committees in the past. It's not impossible. It just seems highly improbable. Yeah, it, it it's interesting because, you know, the Rutgers game, I think we can all probably agree is a is a must win because right now Rutgers is in quad three because their their net is in the mid 80s. Uh, at this point, so I think IU needs to beat Rutgers, and then probably, uh, probably hope Rutgers 
plays plays well against whoever it it plays to kind of get itself back into at least like a quad two situation. But um, yeah, the Rutgers IU comparison is an odd one because you're just trying to figure out what the committee would like. If you're just looking at sheer volume of quality wins and tournament teams you beat, then it's Rutgers hands down. The challenge is Rutgers has most of their losses to teams that aren't anywhere near the field, uh, which is typically something that the committee values as well. And while IU has a few of those, despite having no losses in quad three or quad four, the number is substantially lower. And if you believe in any of the metrics, whether they be the predictive or the resume metrics, IU is better than Rutgers in both, I believe. So uh, we'll be interesting to see. I, I tend to fall in line with what coach is saying uh, in terms of, you know, the Rutgers win feels like a must because you, you then can kind of have that clean profile and not lose a quad three or quad four game. The Purdue game, you're kind of hoping that you – I mean, a win there I think would seal it almost no matter what happens just because that would be such a huge road win uh, for this team. The, the, the problem is if you take you take bad losses, it brings into play it, – it makes IU's blemishes more prominent, I guess is what I would say. So you look at the non-conference strength of schedule, that's not very good. You look at the road record that got helped a little bit tonight, uh, but in general is not great. Um, but the Notre Dame win moving to quad one, is, as we mentioned, is an important one. So – uh, we'll see what happens there. I guess that brings up the only other thing to, to touch on before we go. Uh, obviously, the Rutgers game will be the next show that we have, but it, it's probably at a point where you can start to look ahead a little bit to the Big Ten tournament because if you believe they need to win a game there, it probably is worth trying to figure out who they might be playing uh, when they get there. So at this point, they seem highly likely, based on what I'm looking at, to end up in the 8-9 game one, one way or another. They're currently ninth based on um what i'm looking at uh right behind michigan at nine and eight and Rutgers at ten and eight uh michigan's got a few games left uh i don't think they i think they will get to 20 uh Rutgers will as well and then there's a little bit of a gap between iu and penn state penn state still travels to illinois so feels like i use locked into that short of winning both the last two games and it also feels like the likely opponents there are one of Rutgers or Michigan, um, which both of whom are fairly close to IU on any kind of seed list or bubble. So maybe it's a if you win that game, then you kind of knock somebody else out. But, um, you know, Galen, any other like I said, maybe you've looked a little bit more than I have at, yeah. at who the potential opponents are, or what the schedules are for some of the teams they might play and how that could shuffle up. But that's at least what it looks like to my uh, my quick my quick glance here. I my life is sad that I've done this much investigation into the Big Ten tournament potential uh, spread. But look, it's really for point, the good of the show, so we appreciate it. it you is, can't don't I don't want you to feel bad. Um, you know, I, well, I just feel bad about myself uh, more uh, than well, anything else. I think that's the big thing. But no, look at this point, Rutgers has two games left, and that's Indiana on the road, and they've got Penn State at home. Uh, it's certainly possible Rutgers could lose both games, but it seems, I guess, a little bit unlikely to me that they're going to lose at home to Penn State, uh, especially if Penn State decides to bring the team that they played Nebraska with tonight where they lost by 30 on their home floor or whatever it was. Michigan's an interesting case uh, because that's the other team that potentially Indiana's going to play. But you figure Michigan right now, they're 9-8 and eight in conference. They have Michigan State at home on Tuesday. They have Iowa at home on Thursday. They have Ohio State on the road on Sunday. They could easily lose all three of those games, which, I mean, the only real effect that would have, I think, would be that Indiana would wear the white uniforms in the 8-9 game as opposed to the Reds. Uh, but it would have another effect, I think, which is that Michigan would be bone-tired having lost four in a row 
against four of the top teams in the conference uh, and then have to turn around and play, uh, what, a Thursday or a Wednesday game, I guess. A Thursday game? Whatever. The, you know, whatever the game is that they're playing Indiana. Um, and it would be the first game that they'd have their coach back, which might be a good thing, might not. I'm not 100% sure. But that's about it for Indiana. Like, there's, I think there's one small mathematical chance that they might be able, if they won the Purdue game and Rutgers lost their game, that they could sneak into that seven seed. Um, but that's that's really the only other option for IU, other than losing both games and ending up in the ten. Yeah, I'm not even sure at this point if they would end up in the ten. I mean, I guess you never know what'll happen. But I I I took a glance. You've clearly done more more research than I have. I and if they win both, like maybe there's a, a slight chance they get a little bit better. But uh, I guess worry about Rutgers first, and then figure out what uh, what happens from there. So, all right, well. That that will become more clear by the time we talk again uh, on Wednesday night after the Rutgers game. That one is at seven o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we'll then have Assembly Call Radio on Thursday to be able to maybe talk about some of the ramifications of whatever goes down uh, against Rutgers, and then uh, the regular season finishes up on Saturday at Purdue, uh, which I believe is a two o'clock start that they announced. If I'm remembering that correctly, uh, all right. So uh, with that, uh, we will wrap things up. Before we do that, just a reminder to check out our friends at Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code HOME at checkout to get 15% off your first order. And, uh, guys, it's time for last call. Galen, I'll uh, throw it to you first. Final thoughts on IU's five-point win at Minnesota. It was a five-point win at Minnesota. And that's about all that we need at the end of the day. Like, it's like they won the game on the road. They needed a road win. They needed a win away from home. They're up to four now on the season, which is nice. And they needed to get a little bit closer to 500 in the conference and 20 wins overall. Um, this is your classic let us never speak of this again type of game for IU. And it feels like we've had a few too many of those over the course of time. But I'm just happy that they came away with the victory. And ultimately, hopefully that propels them to another win coming up this week. Coach, final thoughts. Yeah, the you know, these last couple of games have, have given us a, a look into what Indiana can be, and, and it's also frustrating because wh where's that been, you know, down the stretch of some of these uh, other games, and we'd be breathing a lot easy when it comes to tournament uh, selection time. But if they continue uh, playing the way they did for the first 32 minutes, then it looks uh, like they can uh, compete very well on Wednesday and then, you know, go into West Lafayette and do whatever they can do and and, and – it just feels a little bit better. It's it's not completely okay, and the program is still, you know, not where it needs to be. But these last two games have really, and at least at least let us take a, a pause after a five game losing streak uh, by, by winning a couple. And and again, winning in the Big Ten is tough. Winning in in, in basketball is tough. Winning on the road is tough. So uh, would rather have been a lot easier coming down the stretch than it was. But it is a, a win, and it, it is a quad two win, so it, it puts us in position uh, to to get in the tournament, and ultimately that that's what we need. Now the players and coaches just have to go and get it done. Yeah, I, I echo a lot of what you guys said. Uh, it was a situation where they had to get a win, and they got one. And there were times that it was beautiful, and there are times that it was horrendous. And the net result, though, is what IU needed to get done. And so 
it makes the game on Wednesday incredibly important for this team. And we now wait a few days to see if they, they were able to show up and take advantage of that opportunity. But um, the Wednesday game means a whole lot less if they don't win this game tonight. And so they stepped up, did what they needed to do, found a way to close the game out. Uh, another great game from Xavier Johnson. And again, we've we've talked about this, the ceiling of this team and where they end up is very heavily reliant upon how he plays. And over the last uh, few games, he, he's really stepped up his game and continued to just improve uh, over the course of the season. And uh, we'll need another big one from him on Wednesday night for sure against Rutgers. But if they can do that, then I think uh, it, it has a chance to change the, the tone of the season a little bit heading into a really tough road game at Purdue uh, to, to close things out. But, uh, but you know, excited to see what this team is able to do and, and ultimately glad they were able to, to win the game tonight, uh, albeit in a, an odd fashion. I saw somebody in the chat joked about this game had basically three halves to it, and it was dependent upon uh, which of those you really, uh, you really looked at as to, as to how you'd feel about the game. But ultimately, they took care of business. That's the important thing, and uh, that is uh, what I will take away from the game tonight. Uh, as I understand it, I've had some issues with uh, speaking over the, uh, the the drops and the music, so I'm not going to play the music over this one, uh, just in case. So, But that'll do it for tonight's show. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash assemblycall. And don't forget to join Assembly Call. Go to join.assemblycall.com to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for the music you hear on the show, and special thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logo. And thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU Hoops with you again on Wednesday night after the Rutgers game. Until then, keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. I like everything about that. All right, gents. I think that uh, closes it up. This was too detailed to get into in the Big Ten tournament thing, but the outside scenario for IU getting the 10 seed involves the following things happening. Okay. Wisconsin has to finish alone in the lead of the Big Ten. Illinois and Purdue have to tie for second place by themselves. And Penn State and Indiana have to tie at 9 and 11. Under that scenario, actually Penn State gets the 9 and Indiana gets the 10 uh, because Penn State is one and one against Illinois and Purdue, and Indiana is one and two in that scenario against Illinois and Purdue. So there you go. Yeah, that would also require Penn State to win at both Illinois and Rutgers, though. So yes, correct, correct. Which is a stranger thing, man. But I mean, (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. If you were going to pick a team to not trust in a key game at home late in the season, Illinois would be among the top teams for me. But uh, that they would, that they would, and and yeah, the other thing I know. Somebody mentioned that it is senior night on Wednesday. I know we typically have not come on until after the speeches. I think this year, more than any, it is entirely unclear to me who will actually be going through that given all the eligibility pieces of things. So uh, I'm assuming that we'll have a better handle on that as we get closer to the game and then we'll we'll figure it out. Assuming there is some kind of post-game ceremony, we will wait till after that's over to come on. Uh, it's just not totally clear to me right now who... Uh, will or won't go through that. So we'll kind of monitor that as we go. And uh, I know the women's team, at least they kind of announced some of that of who would be going through it and who wouldn't uh, based on who was coming back. So I assume you'll see some of the same thing for the men. So we'll figure that out as we go. But uh, we'll certainly talk to everybody at some point on Wednesday night after the game. Uh, it just depends a little bit on uh, on what actually happens. So, all right. Well, I think that'll do it. Galen, appreciate you joining us. 
Thanks, guys. Uh, glad we yep. didn't have to. Glad we could talk about a win despite the the things that went down over the remainder of it. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know what, what would have happened had we needed to get on and talk about it if the uh, the collapse completed itself. So luckily we didn't have to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so all right, Coach, good chatting with you. We'll. Uh, I don't know who among us will be on uh, Wednesday night. I think I will be, uh, but I'm not yeah, exactly I, sure who else. Yeah, we got so. our sectional game Wednesday uh, night. All right, so well, we'll be playing the same time that IU is. Awesome. Well, best of luck in your game. Thank and, you. Uh, no, you got a lot of people I see on Twitter following the Western account and uh, and rooting for you guys. So uh, best of luck as you get things started. We got our hands uh, number five team in the state. We drew in the in the sectional. So oh, lucky lucky you. We're we're gonna have to play well. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck. Good luck. So Thanks. all right. Cool. Thanks everybody for joining us. We will talk to you on Wednesday night. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.